This is Cinema Degeneration. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. We're not that different, Dick. I do not enjoy killing, but it's my job. Someone has to do it. Maybe. Me. The hobo with a shotgun. He didn't just eat their bodies. He ate their souls. And I joined in. I'm gonna sleep in your bloody carcasses tonight! I suggest aspirin for the headache. What headache? I'm surprised you don't have a grenade launcher. Couldn't get a permit. Because I cut off his legs. And his arms. And his head. And I'm gonna do the same to you. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. <laughs> Rutger Hauer. Who are you? You're an outsider. In an epic science fiction thriller. They want the world all to themselves. In a powerful new vision of our future. The Rams and the Droids got here just about the same time. And then the killing started. When mankind faces extinction. Track down even the slightest trace of a human being. I've killed your kind before. You need to discuss your behavior. The only one who can save us. Thugs, I'm gonna kill you. My mind. Isn't human at all. You are a machine. You are a mega doom. Who died of me? You did. Rutger Hauer. Omega Doom. Very persuasive. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration and our Rutger Hauer Appreciation Month. And we have uh, an oddity, uh, a weird movie. Something from the lower end of the spectrum of the, the Rucker Howard universe, or as we like to call it here, the Puniverse, because it's directed by Albert Pune. We are talking Omega Doom from 1996. And joining me this evening as my guest co-host is my usual cohort in crime from Howling at the Full Moon, Dustin Hubbard. How are you? Hey, I am good, all things considered. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you are you still going to be able to talk to me now that I made you sit through this movie? I, I'm going to try my best. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't revisited this movie in a couple of years. Uh, I didn't remember it being so weird. I didn't remember it being so bad. So I don't know what I remember s- seeing it because it's a whole lot of weird. It's a whole lot of bad. I mean, Rooker Hauer is not bad in it. I, I feel like he is still 
he still does very well with what little he is given to work with, you know, and there's not much with his, he is the titular character. He is Omega Doom. He's, it's kind of like with the Hitcher. He is the Hitcher, but, uh, I feel like they don't give him a whole lot to do. He essentially here is playing the man with no name as this is a remake of Yohimbo and a fistful of dollars loosely. I know that it says that it's a remake of those films, but uh, just another loose adaptation uh, is is more <laughs> like it. <laughs> the remake of Yojimbo by way of Bratislava. Yeah. <laughs> in the Pew universe, you know, in the Pew universe, it's a uh, yeah, it's it, it's, yes, it's, it's a remake. Filtered through the Pew universe, so. Okay, now let's go ahead. We'll get right off into it. We won't waste any time, but this is one hell of a long, uh, this is a, a very long IMDb synopsis. I feel like they give you the whole damn summary mm -hmm. right here, but I'll just go ahead and give it. It's very long, so so uh, bear with us, folks. Bear with us. Uh, Omega Doom 1996 is as follows. After Earth is taken over by an army of robots, the small number of humans left are forced into hiding. In the nuclear winter, only droids walk the face of the Earth and fear the rumored human resurgence. And in search of a hidden cache of weapons, one robot, his evil circuits destroyed, enters a small town where a robot civil war is taking place. He tries to convince both sides to join forces in search of the weapons, all the while having a hidden agenda and a an affinity for one of the local droids. And that's it. That's that's our that's our movie, and we're done. We can do our uh, final review and synopsis and rating right now. <laughs> no, just kidding. I feel like there's more going. I feel like there's more going on in that synopsis than there was in the actual film. So, well, this is a movie that it you know is is filled with cyborgs. It's a post-apocalyptic really? western with those kind of things with Albert Pune involved and Rooker Hauer involved. You know, I was all in. You know, synopsis wise, and an affinity for one of the local droids. Who did he have an affinity for? Like that, that completely went above my head. Yeah, like I mean, I know or, Yeah, I know they're talking about the bartender, but it's not really there. I'm like, he has more of an affinity for like the head yeah. <laughs> than, than any of the the female characters. Like I think Zed or. Uh, or the bartender who doesn't even get afforded a real name. <laughs> like no, no. I mean, the hell, even Norm, uh, Norbert Weiser is just the head. They don't really give him just, a name. Just the head. Through sections of the movie, he's not just a head. He's actually attached to a body. So it's like. But I, I, do, uh, I will say one thing: it is one of the two reasons to show up for this movie. Is one it is Rucker Howard because, like I've often said on the show. Uh, and and in life, I don't. I feel like he never phones it in. He does the best with what he's given. He plays that silent type, the man with no name kind of character. But the other reason the show for this is Norbert Weiser, the head. He is legitimately funny, and I love some of his physical, you know, hijinks and attributes that he has. You know, you know the idea that he's constantly getting beheaded and having to find new bodies to, to hook his cyborg head up to. I like it. Now, the effects yeah. don't lead you to enjoy these transformations very much at all. But, you know, Norbert Weiser is just a legitimately funny actor. I, I, I enjoy him quite a bit. 
Norbert Weiser is uh, very much uh, kind of a signature Pune actor. He's been in so many Albert Pune movies. And clearly, though, he's been in a, apparently many larger studio and television shows that I was not aware of. But he's very much a, a, a fixture in the Puniverse. And he is a very, I think, under underrated, uh, charismatic character actor that, you know, he he is one of the the highlights of this film. So yes, and, and one of the other highlights, and even though I don't understand the narration and who is supposed to be coming from, <laughs> but the the narrator is Michael Halsey, who is also you know like Doll Man, Mean Guns, amongst others. You know, also from the P universe. Like I like the voiceovers, but I feel yeah. like it promises a lot more than we're ever given. Yeah, it's kind of that setup of. All of this stuff has happened, and this is what's going on. Now we're just going to sit here with this small group of people and watch this like interplay drama go on. But all that bigger, grandiose stuff that's like part of the plot, we're not going to really experience. Yeah, like the the big you know human versus robot war. We see just Rucker Hauer fighting against the last soldier. <laughs> I love how they say, and he was fighting against. A soldier from the and opposing army it doesn't say what <laughs> army he's that the, the soldier was from, but Rucker Howard's uh, Omega Doom character, a hybrid 5.5 as they call him, takes a shot to the head that erases his memory and his programming, so he's kind of like reborn. I, I, okay, I, 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 I guess, I guess that's what we're we're in for now. <laughs> But this movie is supposed to be taking place. They make illusions that it takes place in America, but this is not America. This is clearly yeah. Eastern Europe. Very clearly a war-torn third-world country. <laughs> yeah, in every way, shape, and form possible. Like it is so five thousand percent not America. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, there is a bit of trivia, and you had told me about this, but I hadn't remembered reading about it. Uh, you want to give the folks at home the trivia about what this movie was supposed to be? Yeah, apparently the original script entailed uh, it taking place at Euro Disney, and <laughs> some of the uh, the animatronic robots from the park were still active and sort of... Uh, operating roaming around during the global apocalypse so <laughs> which yes. feels very much like an early precursor to what would eventually become willie's wonderland i guess an original lead that was considered for it was christopher lambert so i mean imagine in you know in the multiverse of uh, cinema somewhere there there was a movie made with christopher lambert playing omega doom fighting you know animatronic you know, Mickey Mouse's. <laughs> That's what I want to picture in my head, and that sounds like such a more exciting film uh, than what we have as Omega Doom. No offense to Howard or Weiser. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, they they didn't write the film, you know, it's not in, their fault. Imagine in that version, it would have probably been like a decapitated, like a goofy head or something that kept talking. <laughs> so, <laughs> Now I I I'd plunk down money for that. I was I was a big fan of Willy's Wonderland. So if you're talking to a post-apocalyptic Western futuristic version of uh of that, I'd I'd be all for that. That's the movie we should have gotten. Yeah, that'd be a trip. Oh yeah. 
but yeah, the the narration itself speaks of much greater things and bigger things, but this feels like it's a much smaller version of the story that we're promised. Um, we don't really have to talk about this movie in a linear fashion because the movie itself is not very linear. It's not a very well put together story. There's aspects feels, that I like of it, but damn. It feels very just it. I mean, it's not, but it feels very just sort of stream of consciousness flow of action. It doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere specific. It's just yeah. kind of going. Long. Don't they call and, that Zen filmmaking or some weird yeah. term like that? <laughs> Donald Jackson would call that Zen filmmaking. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was leaning towards, sir. You're picking up what I'm throwing down. If this was Zen filmmaking, though, we'd be uh, we'd be rewarded with at least a Joe Estevez cameo or like a supporting role by the chin, but we're not getting that here. So yeah, no Estevez, no Robert Zadar. No boobs, no real action to to, to speak of. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just really Not weird. So no talking uh, alligators in backpacks. So yeah, yeah, no toad toad warriors, nothing like that. But uh, the first thing I got to say, I think the best scene of the movie is the introduction to the head. I think that's really probably the best scene when Rucker Howard comes wandering. Uh, you can't even say into town; he just comes wandering in out of the wasteland into a deeper part of the wasteland that just is that war-torn, bombed-out city that everything is just covered in soot and ash. And, you know, they keep talking about a nuclear winter. We wouldn't even get any snow or any winter, winter-esque, winter I'm using air quotes here, they can't see, winter-esque type uh, legitimate yeah. scenes till the very end. It gives off no concept of nuclear winter whatsoever. <laughs> And maybe you can answer me this. And I know you probably don't have any better answer than me, but I got to ask you because, well, you're my guest and that's how things work. Um, how do robots breathe? Like, I, I, like, <laughs> I, I want to know, like, why the robots are breathing. You can see their breath. Robots bleed. I mean, I bleed, but breathe. Uh, I, you know, maybe in the future they evolve the robots to be so human that they have to operate off of oxygen i have no fucking clue cuz it makes no sense <laughs> like it's no sense whatsoever yeah and another thing i got a question about here um there's the only type of commerce in this town there's two warring factions there's the droids and the roms and the <sighs> The ROMs are called the, the Black Hearts Gang, and then the Droids are Zed's Gang. They're both fighting over a buried treasure, which is what the gist of the story is supposed to be about. There's supposedly buried treasure around that is just a cache of guns. And they keep talking about the humans, although you never see a human other than the one soldier that Rooker Hauer or Omega Doom is fighting at the very beginning. There's always the rumor of humans coming out of the nuclear winter, out of wherever they're hiding, to come and hunt them down. It's kind of like another... It's like another Pyun movie that I got to mention here that you brought up, uh, Knights with a K. Like yeah, they talk Knights. about Cyborg City and you never see Cyborg City. Well, it's like watching, dare I say it, you know, we're in the Puniverse, so it's okay to cut to uh, bring up a Tim Thomerson film. You know, it's like watching Trancers and they're like, uh, in the Great Trancer War. It's like, dude, I want to watch the Great Trancer War happen. I don't want to watch what's happening after the fact. Right. I want to watch Tim in the war, kicking everyone's ass and like 
taking, you know, kicking ass and taking names, but we don't get that. We still get something epic there, though, whereas in, in this, there's not much epic. <laughs> Unfortunately, there isn't. I mean, there's not a lot of action. There's some good dialogue. There's some good dialogue by Rooker, and I feel like the, the few bits of good dialogue he has, he must have, like, uh, ad-libbed because it doesn't feel like they belong you know, when he comes in, you know, and he's talking about, you know, it's a good day because there are no more bad days when every day is a bad day. And I'm like, OK, I kind of get you where you're coming from there. And But like the opening narrative poem that that opens the film and closes the film that mm-hmm. Rooker Howard says, it's a great little poem, but it makes no sense in logistics to the movie nope. itself. Um, like. Unless, unless you had, I was going to say, unless you had some insight to that that I was missing. <laughs> no, I yeah, it it has no context to me whatsoever. Uh, it's but, just, it's like when you watch some of these random movies, and I feel like sometimes, you know, and I'm not saying Pune is this kind of person, but when you watch random movies, and they'll ha- they'll feel the need to open the movie with a quote by some famous literary author or historical figure or something like that. And maybe it has relevance, maybe it doesn't. But I feel like sometimes people shoehorn crap like that at, in at the beginning of a movie because they think it makes it seem classier or like more you know, intellectual than it really is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's not. It's not. More times than usual, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's totally not. So... But, uh, I mean, this movie is essentially, uh, he rolls into town, Omega Doom does. He is, you know, placing these two warring factions, these two gangs, which are about, like, three or four cyborgs on each side. Not very big gangs. And it's, it's, it's not even a gang. It's like, yeah, it's like a... It's the remnants of a gang. <laughs> it's, it's like the leftovers after the gang got their asses kicked. <laughs> like, Yeah, it... I mean, the one gang kind of are very mismatched. They look beat up. They're 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 pieced together by part random parts and whatnot on the uh, the the droid side. But the ROMs basically look like extras from uh, like they belong with Neo and Trinity from the Matrix, which I thought was a very weird aesthetic. Like, where where do you find in a war torn universe? Where do you find uh, you know wrap around aviator shades and uh, black trench coats? I don't know fancy leather trench coats and shit so are you saying that the wachowskis and ripping off the puniverse maybe (laughs) (laughs) maybe they they ripped off the puniverse and robot holocaust (laughs) maybe maybe they saw maybe they saw those movies i don't know yeah because a popular concept in like I, obviously, I'm sure literary science fiction and cinematic science fiction is, you know, uh, some kind of robots or androids or whatever, kind of like not human, but, you know, uh, intelligent robotic life rising up and, you know, becoming aware and taking over. And the land in this is kind of taken over, I guess, by whatever these are. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, there's nothing. There's nothing there to take over. There's, there's I, no humans. There's I no ex. 
right. couldn't even tell you like which groups were which. Like I don't even know what they were called. It's just like watching a movie like this. It's so like mentally transcendent to me that it's like I'm watching it, but I'm almost just not even processing what I'm seeing. If that makes sense, like it yeah. just oh, doesn't, totally it doesn't click to me. It, It's like I'm along for the ride in a really fancy car and I'm driving through all these great landscapes, but I'm wearing like shades that are blocking my view and I just I'm not really seeing any of the cool <laughs> the cool <laughs> landscapes as I move. That's kind of like watching a movie like this to me. It's like I'm watching it, but I'm like it's just it's not it's not clicking to me. And it's right, not because right. I'm stupid. It's just um it's a very bizarre cinematic aesthetic, I think, that is possessed by a lot of the puniverse of science fiction, quote unquote, action films. Because I'm not going to say this movie is an action film because there's almost no action in this movie. And what it is like there, I, it's very, very poorly very, done, very poorly choreographed. Very threadbare, very quick and edited, very shoddy. And it's just like a very like chatty, like sci-fi drama. But a lot of his science fiction films feel like that to me, where there's like there's this rich world of all this stuff that's happened and happening, but we're not gonna see that. We're gonna watch this other stuff. And it's gonna be like <laughs> That's exactly what this movie feels like. That was yeah. what some of my notes were. Is it's like it feels like there's a much bigger story at play, but you don't really ever get to see that bigger story. It's yeah, kind of like, like it's like being in 10 Cloverfield lane and you're just like in that bunker the whole time and you're missing like all the other crazy alien shit happening outside. But I mean, at least in the bunker, you still had crazy John Goodman and this. <laughs> yeah, I don't have John Goodman. <laughs> no, no, we don't. And the I'm trying to figure out there's so many things I have questions about, and I know you you probably don't have any more answers than I do, but the question I have here, and maybe you have some insight to this. I can't even tell you what this movie is about other than like Rutger Hauer wants to find some weapons, and I don't even really think anyone found jack shit by the time the movie was over with. <laughs> yeah, they so. found one bullet, one random bullet, and the bartender yeah. found a revolver. And the bullet didn't even match the revolver, so we never even get to see the gun in action. Never gets into play. They all want the guns to fight the humans or, and fight each other, but they never find the cachet of weapons. It's uh, like I said, the stakes never really feel real. And another, yeah. the, the, the big question I have, I know, and this is a minor part of the movie. Okay, the bartender drilled for water, and the bartender is a is a like a maintenance drone robot. So her job was to drill for water, set up camp. And set up some sort of commerce, you know, a bar where all you can get is water. But why do cyborgs and robots drink water? That's that's my biggest question in the logistics of this movie. Like, why do they, I mean, do they have a radiator they need to keep fueled up? I mean, I don't get it. I really, really don't get it. You're going to ask me for water on ice. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> But get real. Okay, no ice, no ice. <laughs> oh, God. I, I do. I will say one thing I do like. It, there is some neat dialogue in this movie. I love like when the, the head is getting 
that Norbert Weiser plays gets beheaded again by who I think is Marco. Marco, yeah. Yeah, who's another... He's another peon regular, isn't he? Uh, say, I thought he, he could I, have. I'm not directly familiar with him. That's I don't know how to say his name. Jahi J J Zuri. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. He looks familiar. Yeah, he's in. He's in Heat Seeker. Yeah, he's in, <laughs> he's Heat in Seeker. Heat. Nemesis Two. Mean Guns. Nemesis so, Two cool. and Nemesis Three. Yeah, Urban Menace. I mean, he so he's in a lot of these movies too, like like Omega Doom and Urban Menace Corrupt. Those are all Bratislavan or Slovakian productions. They were all around the same two or three year time frame where Pune must have just been like camping out in Slovakia and just making just making movies, science fiction. And if he wasn't making weird science fiction movies like this, he was making like weird urban thrillers starring rappers like like a lot of Snoop Dogg movies and like Fat Joe and yeah, Ice-T and yeah. Silk Shocker and Ice-T. Yeah. So which I never understood how he <laughs> became involved in making so many of those. But uh, though and those are. It, to put things in perspective, those are far worse films than than this movie is. So, this movie, at least, I will give it one thing. Other than the the action sequences, which are few and far between and very poorly executed, it has some great cinematography because they make they it, it make it look like a, a legit futuristic western. It's shot with a lot of wide shots and a lot of close ups, like a Sergio Leone film. It just doesn't. It's got the style. It just doesn't have the substance. Yes, it's yeah, it's shot very well. It has a very, very quality look to it. Um, but I mean, and that the cameraman's worked on a lot of stuff. Obviously, he's done a lot of work on bigger things like, you know, Escape from New York and the Blues Brothers. And uh, he worked on Cyborg. So, yep, and, uh, you know, Pion keeps getting people to come back, you know, and I, I can understand. Part of me understands why, part of me doesn't, because either Pune's movies are either legit gems or they're just they're, they're just not. I don't want to say they're turds, but man, there's some of his movies are just like I love to to death. I love them to no end, and then other movies are like adrenaline fear of the rush. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like I said, I'll, I'll be honest, I am not. I am not going to be the first person to say that I'm a big fan of like the Nemesis movies or like Cyborg or you know, these these bizarro uh, dreamlike feeling science fiction films that he makes. But I, I do like some Pune stuff. I do remember really enjoying Nights uh, and you know like Kickboxer Two. I obviously I love. You know, I worship Arcade, which also starred Norbert Weiser. Uh, but, you know, for me, you know, for each Arcade, there's a Dollman. And you know how I feel about Dollman. Yeah, <laughs> and we've I... already covered that one. And I, I, I did not know going into it how much you legit did not like that movie. Thomerson, like that movie just does like nothing for me. So <laughs> 
nothing. <laughs> like, and but you know what? It's pune science fiction. But that movie has more of a grounded tone to me. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense. A twelve-inch, twelve-inch tall alien crash landing on Earth, being chased by a fucking head on a jetpack. But um, it it feels more like an ABC plot structure than something like this, where I couldn't even tell you, you know, if, if this had a, you know, and I mean, this was written by a very accomplished screenwriter. This was from Ed Naha, so it's not like it was from a a bad screenwriter either. So. But I couldn't begin to tell you where, you know, the classic ABC uh, three act story structure begins and ends anywhere in this movie, because it just feels like, like I said before, it's like this bizarro stream of consciousness string of nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just very, very much a gonzo style production. It's very weird. Yeah, they don't ex- I mean, they don't explain things like, you know. Why the warring factions of uh, robots hate each other, and where where are all the humans yeah. that everybody keeps talking about? And yeah, what's their beef, and where are all the humans hiding? Yeah, and, and like, why do cyborgs need water, and why are cyborgs and robots breathing? I, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the the ongoing joke though of uh, how that. Um, Marco, that's it. The, the, the Jahi Zuri plays of him constantly, at least for the first third of the movie, constantly beheading the head and fucking around with them. They could have made a whole say, movie about that. They could have made a whole movie about that and not have been for it. His hairdo is hilarious, and <laughs> to him, his acting is really hilarious because I I don't want to say he's a bad actor, but <laughs> he makes some very, choices are very odd. He made some very specific choices that stood out, we'll say. <laughs> well, it was, like, it, it was like he was the one character who didn't have control over his body. He would make these random movements and random kind of facial tics and stuff that just didn't make sense. You would picture a futuristic cyborg to move, like taking very elongated, like stomping steps and things. And you know, let's, but uh, let's talk about that a little bit. The the movements of the of the uh, uh, the robots and the cyborgs. These are some of the noisiest fucking robots that I've ever seen. Every little twist and turn comes with a creak, or or a noise, or robotics <laughs> clunks and sounds. It sells the idea of them being robots. Duh. <laughs> yeah, it's the way of doing it on the cheap with just sound effects. The people who did the sound effects on this movie were hard at work. Hard. It's at not work. like they could. It's not, not like they could hire Johnny Five and Chappie to play some of these robots. Okay, they had to use humans. <laughs> they have to add like really like over the top sound effects to sell the idea to like remind the audience like you're not watching people. Remember, these are robots. They're cyborgs. Or synthetic humans of some some sort so yeah as i look I will say into that. the credits there's <laughs> over 20 there's over 20 different sound people in the sound departments doing sound effects editing sound design and stereo sound consultants and re-recording mixers over 20 i mean a lot of work put into this movie i'll, I'll say that so you know uh 
But they had they had a lot of work, but they sure left that green screen in in the middle of uh, Shannon Worry's, uh, or AKA Zed's chest when Omega Doom yeah. kills her. When he kills her, yeah, you can clearly see that they didn't like remove the green the green under shirt from her where it looks like they should have put in some more uh damage effects and just on the on the topic of like effects like when norbert weiser's head is just a head you can tell that they clearly didn't use like a green turtleneck or anything on him to hide his neck it looks like they just shot him and he had kind of the the base around where the hedge is torn off right right and then below that where human neck was it looks like they just tried to airbrush the moving image out so the edges of where his neck should be cut off a little too fluid and splotchy look digitally yeah, it, it fluctuates it, <laughs> so, it moves where it shouldn't be moving he's sloppy looking and then when his head is attached i feel like they didn't like they should have done something below the terror mark to make it look more connected but they don't there's like this weird kind of in-between spot between you know yeah the the edge of the quote-unquote head and where the the body like obviously his body starts that didn't look like it was done correctly either you know so. what i would just say the same thing to him that rucker howard says to him stop whining and just morph <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they didn't even know what, what in any kind of science is like just throwing the word morph just morph i love that line I, I i wrote that down in all all caps it was so ridiculous but uh <laughs> Omega Doom always seems like he's playing both sides, but he's not playing both sides very well. He's trying to get each one of these teams alone so he can bump each one of them off. And because he's, you know, he's so fast on his quick draw with his, I don't know what you want to call them. They're not lightsabers, but they're like energy swords, swords that send out blasts <laughs> of energy, I guess you could say, because uh, nobody has guns. Yeah, when you see him from behind, he straight up looks like he has like, he-Man's fucking sword from Skull strapped around his back, but right. then he takes it off. It's sort of like this weird energy shot of something coming from it that doesn't really sell well. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the effect is a really bad optical effect. I feel like they could have sold that a lot better. The, the prop sword looks and good. I, it does look like a, a legit like He-Man's Master of the Universe Kessel Grayskull sword, but it it's a great prop, but man, they don't sell it with the effects at all. I guess that's when I say that as far as like subpar visual effects, that's when I just remind myself that this was actually 1996. And I guess, you know, and I'm no effects person, so don't, you know, take my word as law, but like, I guess things weren't quite as much opticals anymore. And there was a lot more CG type attempts at things and stuff. And Things were still very much in infancy back then, so a lot of those kind of effects just don't look good. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look good. It, there's really not much to speak of in this movie, effects-wise, that does look good.
I mean, it's some some of the some of the robots look good. There's the one robot that's on the droid side that has like a helmet on, that looks like like a like a jigsaw mask. I don't know, but he's got like albino white hair and but he never <laughs> speaks and he always just kind of stands around and looks just menacing. But he never does anything. I think yeah, it was, I can't remember what the character's name was. It might have been Zink uh, or something, but I, I don't know. I'm I don't know probably much more of what was going on in this movie that you do. I know you're re- we're relying on me to to lead you along a little bit. Yeah, I I have to say it before the show, I I told you just yeah, I don't really understand what this movie was really about. So I'm gonna be leaning on you for most of the show to explain it to me. I, I, I don't know if I'm a good leader, man, uh, on this one. <laughs> 82 minutes of a bunch of nothing. <laughs> so, I, feel like I understood maybe 5% more of it than you did. Maybe if, if that if, at, at it's best. Bu- it's big bonuses. I mean, you know, and cast can go along. I mean, at least I'm familiar with some of the cast. So there's at least that kind of comfort of female familiarity with having, you know, obviously an icon like, Howard, who like like you said, he, he I can't think of anything he ever phoned anything in on. So I mean, he's always giving, you know, one hundred. And even if in this, you know, he just doesn't feel like he has a lot to do, and he's sometimes a little more stoic and just kind of making facial expressions instead of you know, yeah, acting way up here when it's just kind of like down here. But that's probably just the script or what was being asked of him well you know i mean you you can only make uh you can only shine up a you know polish a turd so much you know and i hate to keep calling this movie a turd but it really is it's told me you can't make chicken salad chicken shit exactly exactly (laughs) i feel like one person here besides uh rooker hauer who was trying to class up the joint and was trying uh, to make chicken salad out of chicken shit was uh, Tony Ripperetti, uh, (laughs) who did the music and the soundtrack for it. The music is really good. I would actually dare to say I like the soundtrack on a level where I wouldn't mind owning it and actually listening to it if I could find it on CD or something. Because I'll say this, Ripperetti is a real good composer right i think he's always really delivered i mean his his score for the original doll man is it it is one of the incredible parts of that movie i think uh because the doll man theme it's it's top notch like full moon theme and a lot of the other work he's done for pune i'll I'll say that honestly the one ripper ready score that i just was never a fan of was the original score he composed for arcade before it was rebuilt and reconstructed in post and they scrapped the entire score and started from scratch got a new one like completely yeah so they scrapped rip ready's entire score for that film and uh, not to say that it was bad because it wasn't i just and it, it, i think for me as a super fan of that movie i think that i was just conditioned over you know 20 plus years of loving the movie as it was released with the existing score and then hearing the other score just feels false to me <laughs> so that makes, that makes sense i, I, I can see that 
not a bad score though. He's a, he is a good composer, and I mean, having good music can elevate even you know the most dismal viewing experience. You know, so that that does help. Yeah, it does help a little bit. But the, the the movie, like I feel like the first two thirds is building up toward the first two acts. You know, act one, act two, it's building up towards something big, and then mm-hmm. the third act completely falls apart. Not not that I mean, like it was building something up. I thought we were going to be getting something much much bigger. You know, I've seen this movie a couple times, so I wasn't you know <laughs> confused or forgot this time around. But I mean, in general. But like the the double cross, you know, that happens at the end where they the the Roms end up uh, fighting against Omega Doom and they, I guess, stab him in the back uh, and kill him temporarily. But I don't really get like what happened because the action is so is choreographed so badly that I mean, I'm left I was left to guess that like, OK, I guess they stabbed him in the back with one of their energy swords, but I didn't. It's this choreographed and shot so shoddily at the, the action. It, it doesn't make sense when the rest of the movie looks so good. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the double cross fight at the waterboard, water, almost at waterboard. <laughs> this movie was kind of like being waterboarded, but the <laughs> water bar it, it's horribly atrocious. I'm not even sure what happens. And I didn't really understand Blackheart's vision when she taps into, uh, Omega Dooms while he's supposedly either knocked unconscious or dead, and we never really are told what happened to him. But she's tapping into his, you know, his his memory banks. Is the vision of him on horseback being followed by a bunch of like followers is very weird, very jarring, and as far, I'm, I understand it's supposed to be made. It was made to feel prophetic. You know, he was supposed to be like a prophet and being followed by disciples or something. But it makes no sense in context of the rest of the movie. It's the yeah. most jarring, most jarring scene of the entire movie. I totally didn't get it. I, I'm sure you probably didn't didn't understand it any more than I did. Yeah, I most definitely that didn't make any sense to me. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of this that just uh, that just falls apart in in the third act. The editing becomes really confusing, and you know. Uh, the bartender character, I, I know that, you know, in the description of this movie, they talked about, you know, that he had a an affinity for one of the, you know, the robots. I, I, I don't feel like he had an affinity for anybody. He was there to just I kill the warring either. factions and move on. Yeah, it was either her or Shannon Worry. And I mean, even Shannon Worry's character is even just like useless because he it just shoots her. And then she just kind of like slumps down, sat like she's dying. But she's there sitting for like the rest of the movie until he comes back to her before he leaves and is kind enough to turn her head so she can see the the sun. Yeah, I I, I, I did like that part. I like the, the fact that he, you know, it was a touching moment. It was one of the few kind of emotional moments in the movie when it's like, hey, you know. She's like, I just want to watch the sunrise. And he's like, well, it's going to be close, you know, because she's quickly dying. And she, But she's like, yeah, I'll make it. So he does turn her head so that she can see the sunset. But I, yeah, I, it was just weird because I'm like, well, was she really dying that fast? Because, I mean, it feels like she'd been left there to sit for like the last 20 plus minutes of the movie. Right. She didn't, 
So, I mean, it couldn't have been happening that fast. So, and plus just as, as a, I mean, you have Shannon worry. She was a, a big, like, you know, B movie star era too. And it's like, she feels very underutilized. Maybe, I mean. Not, not she, miscast, but yeah, misused, she's I done, guess. Or underused. Science fiction type stuff, you know. But um, she just seemed uh, underutilized, you know. So, I mean, if, yeah. if I were worry, I would want to do something much more of value with her than, than whatever was done with her in this movie. I wouldn't have her sit on her fanny for like the last 30 minutes of the movie. You yeah. know, so it just, just sits there and an energy, you know, like photon blast to the chest where I can see the, the green stocking under her shirt. You know, <laughs> and also another weird thing in the final moments when the bartender starts singing joy to the world. Yeah, that was a little weird. I didn't really. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. And the, the whole thing, they spent way too much time with that snow globe prop it's too much time with that little music box in the snow globe prop i mean my god it was this like i understand it was supposed to be something pretty it was supposed to be you know a gem in the rough you know in this post-apocalyptic world i get it but it just i got it but i didn't get it you know <laughs> it didn't make sense yeah. but uh and then the last thing this is the moment that, the movie that is the biggest what the fuck moment and it's right towards the very end folks but there's a moment where Omega Doom lights a cigar, pops a cigar in his mouth, and shoots flame out of his thumb like a lighter to light his cigar. Was it his thumb? I didn't even notice that it was his thumb, honestly. I I saw him light light it, and I thought to myself, why are they using, like, really shitty CGI? Why didn't they just use a real flame? (laughs) Yeah, it was his thumb. The flame came out of his thumb. Okay, see, that goes to show you how much I was, like, like on another plane mentally watching this movie because I didn't even realize it came out of this thumb. Yeah, I thought, see, I, I, I caught that the first time, and then I was reminded of it this time watching it, and I was just like, okay, where were, was cool stuff like that that he could have been doing, you know, throughout the entire movie? Why did they wait until the very final shot? I didn't use his finger as, like, a flamethrower to just, like, ins- incinerate all of the other cyborgs right exactly <laughs> why in the final <laughs> moments do we get that and then the then the big story that shannon worry as zed apparently knows there's another hybrid 5.5 out there just like him but it's meaner big a bigger badass and it's coming this way and it's just like it's like the ending of nights you know going into or the ending of cyborg you know it promises something much bigger that's coming and it never comes Oh, man, I can't wait for the sequel. Make a Doom 2 Doomier? Yeah, because when you look at IMDb, too, this movie is listed as being part of, I guess, a, the larger literal universe because it says that this movie comes after, you know, all the cyborg films and the Nemesis films. Uh, and nights like they all kind of take place within a a shared universe of sorts. 
though, with the Cyborg sequels, though, because Pune didn't make any of those sequels, I don't believe. No, he had nothing to do with Cyborg 2 and 3. I know that. I know he had more to do with, like, Nemesis 2, 3, 4, Part 5, yeah, not so did, much. Yeah, he did all the actual real uh, Nemesis sequels. <laughs> yeah, we, we won't well, talk about Part 5. Part, part Nemesis no. 5 is much like Transfers 6 to me. It just plain doesn't count. It's it's just something that didn't need to exist, and clearly the people that made it, much like Transfers 6, they didn't really understand or have the means to make something that uh, honored what came before it. Even something like Nemesis, the, you know, Nemesis 1 through 4, which I'm not a humongous fan of, but it's like those movies have something and yeah. part did not have that yeah yeah Same no it didn't doesn't have what one through five have there's just there's missing there's there's you know a missing vibe and just logic and quality to those movies that those last installments just could never dream of possessing an ounce of so yeah, and I do kind of wonder why, how they say this is, you know, it follows Cyborg. As I'm looking at the IMDb here, it follows Cyborg, Nemesis, Knights, Cyborg 2 and 3, Nemesis 2 and 3, and is followed by Nemesis 4, 5, and then Cyborg, Nemesis, The Dark Rift, which has never come out, never seen the light of day. But it doesn't really fit. It's just another, uh, it's another pune Cyborg movie. That's the only way that yeah. it fits in. You know, makes me curious to like actually want to know how and why, but I don't want to go back and rewatch all those movies. Like, <laughs> not there's some of them I wouldn't mind rewatching, but a lot of them I would not want to watch again. I have the Blu ray triple feature thing of Nemesis 2, 3, and 4. I've just never rewatched them after I bought it. So, I, have I, mean, the same bo- I have the same box set put up by MVD. Yep. Yeah. I never bought first one though because i remember it being way more expensive than i thought it was worth so i never bought it at the time i can buy for much more affordable now but when those mvds were coming out to begin with they were insanely overpriced i I ended up finding it at a convention uh i think it was cinema wasteland at the time i ended up finding it at at a table for like 25 bucks i was just like i I, I can justify throwing down 20 or 25 bucks for this not much more but yeah I feel like when I got the two, three, and four triple pack, I had gotten that at Grindhouse Video for like eighteen bucks, maybe like seventeen ninety nine. So that felt that felt realistic for three entire feature films. But yeah, I you're, you're essentially paying five to six dollars a film. That's not really bad. <laughs> I I just don't really remember loving any of those three sequels. So. <laughs> Yeah, Nemesis 2 is the one movie I ended up dragging some high school friends to. It was our senior year of high school. We found it playing a theater, actually playing a theater in Chicago, and went to go see it. And I was given such a harsh time for dragging them to see Nemesis 2 for years. That's a, that's a bragging right, though, man. You got to see a Pune movie in the theater. Yeah, yeah. I I think it was playing in two theaters in the entire city of Chicago. And I wanted to see it because I remember loving, absolutely loving, like, Nemesis. Because you had yeah, it, was, 
it was probably the only two theaters in the entire country that played it. So yeah, and my friends will never let me. Uh, I got two of them that are still around to this day that will not let me live it down. Like yeah, they they always bring up that or the Manglers, the two movies I dragged them to go see that they couldn't stand. Is you saying it was in those two theaters and made me think of that? You know, back in October of 2020 when. Uh, my my mother and I both caught COVID. Uh, that same week, there was the new Children of the Corn film that had opened theatrically, but in the entire country, it only played two theaters. Oh, and they were It was a test run in my city only, which ironically, Stephen King has a second home in. <laughs> Do you and think he went to go see it? <laughs> I hope I hope he did. But and literally one of the theaters is just down the street from me, about two miles. And uh but we had COVID and obviously I couldn't leave the house. And then after a week it it, it vanished. It was just called Children of the Corn, but it was like a reboot sequel prequel. Well, it was a prequel to the original film. Uh like a year and a half, two years later, it's never surfaced. Nothing. Huh. <laughs> no streaming. No wider release, no nothing. So I mean, it's when you see random things like that, and I said this to you beforehand. You know, they're going to get to see things like you seeing Nemesis Two in the theater. That's a bragging right to me, whether the movie's good or not. Like that's like I said to you, that's like me seeing like you know, having seen like Hardware and Split Second in the theater or like Popcorn. Oh, Split Second. That's a much, much better Rucker Hauer movie, isn't it? Or like Eve of Destruction with Gregory Hines. I saw that in the theater. <laughs> I, I saw it, too. I saw it, too. First Power. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, the most random nonsense from the 90s that I saw in the theater that Dr. I feel like Giggles. no one. <laughs> I, I, I was unfortunate to have to wait for VHS on that one. <laughs> oh, I got bragging rights on that one. I saw that at the drive-in. It was a good time. Good time. But uh, that's we're, yeah. we're, we're pretty much at the end of our movie, you know, with the the lighting of the cigar with his thumb and walking away and doing the Robert Rodriguez shot as he dissolves as he walks away in the same shot, and then we get more of that uh, narrative poem that is a voiceover at the end by a combination of Rucker Hauer re- reciting the poem and narration from Michael Halsey. It's good. It's it's good stuff, but it doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't sum the film up because you know we end up with Omega Doom, you know, leaving the town, going somewhere. We have no idea where he's going because he's yeah. he's wiped the town clean. Now he's leaving the head with the bartender and Iron Face, the the one robot from the ROMs that was somehow had a momentary uh, lapse in her programming and decided not to kill anymore, and so she's the only one left. And it just uh, it feels like the story never really took off, and the you know it didn't take off, and it didn't it didn't land anywhere. So it just uh, it just kind of was a, a, a dead duck, unfortunately. And um, yeah, I don't feel like I can poop on the movie anymore. I don't want to, so I think we can go ahead and get into our final thoughts and ratings on this. So I dare ask, what are your final thoughts and summary of Omega Doom and a rating on a scale from one to ten? So, you know, um, first off, obviously, you know, what, you know, we all know uh, he was a 
powerful talent. So, you know, the fact that he's in this movie did lend it a lot of credence. And he's good in it. I just think that he was wasted. He just doesn't have anything interesting to do. But what he does do, he's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've always loved Norbert Weiser. I think he's a strong um, character actor in the rogues gallery of uh, Puniverse stars. So always getting to see him is a, is a big plus for me. Uh, it helps that he's in the, you know my favorite full moon movie of all time. So like... I love him. I in the '90s, I was a big Shannon Murray fan too. I mean, uh, she was a fixture of the late night Skinamax era of oh, films yeah. like Animal Instincts, uh, one and two, and friggin' Body of Influence, and you know, and Mirror Images too. She's also in a really amazing Luca Bercovici horror comedy called The Granny. With... I was just going to mention that, but uh, you beat me to it. Yeah, that's a that's a gem. That's a gem in the an, rough. An incredible horror comedy that I feel like people unjustly don't remember. So I mean, and she's a great actress. Uh, and she's a great is... actress. Yeah, very funny. She's actually very yeah, funny when given the right material, but she wasn't uh, given an opportunity to, to to really do any of that here. Yeah, no, she she was poorly underutilized, which is unfortunate because I think it was a very different role for her, uh, especially not playing up any type of sexuality was whatsoever. Because I mean, even in the granny, they sort of play up her her saucy side you know right, uh, they don't right. show her naked but but she got to to act you know right so yeah. and she she what did act in this she didn't have any she just didn't have anything really of interest to do either literally sitting for the last like 30 minutes of the movie uh obviously it just feels like a very dreamlike illogical non-linear collection of moving images but you know the the camera work is really solid i do love the score and i think for you know for better or worse you know the the landscape does lend a lot of character to the film uh because it feels like a lot of the locations that they shot dollman in but like on steroids like oh, on yeah. a lot of bad drugs because you can tell that that's literally like I would have been terrified to be there to make that movie, especially in '96. Because I feel like they were probably still in the fallout of like really bad situations. I am not a historian or aware of anything historical regarding um, Slovakia or any goings on in Bratislava, so I, I don't really know what that country would have been experiencing at the time. But obviously, there was. Uh, American film coming there to shoot a lot of B films, even if it was just Albert Pune. <laughs> so making a, a handful <laughs> within like a two or three year span. So I think I think those locations add a lot to it. Uh, I just don't think there's much else to to grasp, um, you know. But but like I said, I just I don't really think that the Puneverse of science fiction action stuff has ever really been my uh, flavor of subgenre. Uh, I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, certainly not the best thing I've ever seen. But uh, that's fair. That's it's, fair. It's certainly not something that I'll remember. I'm just gonna be. Those few aspects can go fairly 
fairly okay distance for me. I'm gonna give it a I give it a five. Ooh, wow, you're you're gonna be surprised at my my rating. Um, I'm gonna give you my rating first, and then my thoughts on it second. And I'll send you a screenshot of my notes. I gave it a four point mm-hmm. five, so I'm actually coming in a little lower than you. Mm-hmm. And this might be the lowest rating I'm given for a Rucker Howard movie that we've done for the Appreciation Month. Now I, I, I came in higher, but I I just don't see it being justifiable so yeah i i I always say you've heard me say this on the show before uh, if i give something a five or above i feel like i can still recommend recommend it to the casual viewer you know that might enjoy something for it and you've heard me say on a 10 point scale like i'm looking at like grade school kind of mentality where you know a six is like 60 percent. that's a d like so a five is an f in my book i don't really feel like this is an f film per se it's just it's not great no it's not but i will and it's not memorable i I will agree with a lot of what you said the on the same viewpoints uh rucker howard is always the consummate professional and again he never feels like he's phoning it in but like here he's not given a lot to to deal with he's i've always said he's the king of being subtle he never quite hams it up, or at least doesn't ham it up very often. He, he's very stoic in this, as you said, you know, and he's very much, you know, kind of playing, uh, you know, the man with no name, the, the kind of Clint Eastwood character from the old spaghetti westerns. But he does great with what he's given, and Norbert uh, Weiser is, like you said, he's a great character actor, and, you know, I hadn't realized some of the bigger, bigger stuff that he had been in, like, you know, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, that you uh, told me, you know, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't even realize this when I was looking up his IMDb because I didn't go in that in depth. But you know, uh, Schindler's List, Hocus Pocus, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. like really. But uh, the supporting cast is good. Tina Cody, I think that's how you uh, pronounce her name, as uh, Blackheart. She's really good in it. Uh, I feel like uh, Michael Halsey lends some some credibility to it being the narrator he's got a magnificent voice and his his uh his voice land just lands really really well as the narrator even though the narration really doesn't make a whole lot of sense shannon worry she was you know big part of the 90s you know of the skin and max craze and you know doing a couple really good horror movies like he said like the granny and whatnot and even uh cameoing in a uh uh, you know, me, myself, and Irene, you know, uh, in a small, very small role. But, you know, the, the cast is good. The cinematography is fantastic. They really make it look really, they make that war-torn area of Slovakia look just, they make something so d- just torn up and just just destroyed, make, make it look so beautiful. And, yeah. uh, and I think really the the thing that really makes the, the movie, I, I can't say makes the movie shine, but it makes it just a, a notch better than it, than it probably has any right to be is the, the soundtrack by Ripperetti. He's yeah. really, really good. And I, I got to say one thing, like I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum from you, which uh, uh, of, with this film, because for one reason is I really like a lot of Pune's, uh sci-fi action you know cyborg related stuff i like the cyborg movies i like the nemesis films i like knights and and you know a couple others you know heat seeker maybe not so much <laughs> you know I, but i like the majority of them but this one just um it committed 
it committed the 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 one ultimate movie sin that I can't forgive, and it, in the end, it was really just kind of boring. And yeah. you know, I just can't I can't forget I can't forgive it for that, and that's why I give it a four point five. Like I would say that I could I could re- recommend this to a diehard uh, Rooker Hauer fan or a diehard Albert Pune fan, but really not much, not many other people that I could recommend this to. It's weird because the the puniverse of, you know, sci-fi action fodder is it's not something that I hate, but it's it's something more so that I'm I'm fascinated by because Fair I enough. just don't I just don't understand it. Not not meaning that I'm stupid, but I just I sometimes just don't understand what what the aim is of some of these films uh i just i don't understand like what what they're going for or the direction of you know what they're trying to accomplish with the plot so in in a lot of ways i think a lot of them are just very fascinatingly weird films to watch because i i feel like i don't really know what i'm gonna get when i watch them uh and i'm not like it's going to be this exciting revelation when I do watch them, but uh, I, I just find them more fascinating kind of like, uh, you know, riding in that car and driving by a, a train or, you know, a car wreck or something. And, you know, you, you kind of got to look. You, yeah, see you got a rubber neck if you want to see something interesting, right? Yeah. But yeah, but then it's like, you know, when it's over with, I don't usually feel like I really got anything out of like watching and looking. <laughs> so <laughs> sense. Then again, not that I hate it, hate these movies, because I would go back and watch more of them. Uh it's just these these genre films aren't aren't necessarily in my wheelhouse of interest either though so that that immediately stacks the deck against them but i i do i do like pune and i think that he is generally i do like pune too i i I have uh i have an affinity for pune films you know very distinct visions so you know as god bless him i mean the man's uh, prolific as all hell so i mean I mean, the man is almost 70 years old. I know he's in advanced stages of dementia, but he is still directing, still trying to finish up his his magnum opus uh, cyborg film. You know, being 70 years old and having 56 uh, directing credits is, 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 you know. Oh, yeah, he's he's accomplished a lot. So, I mean, and and these movies, good or good or bad, I mean, there's a vision there. You know, I, I might not understand it, and maybe it's not my place to understand it, but, I mean, he clearly enjoys what he is doing with these films. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's all that, all that matters. So, Yep, he's having a good time doing it. Yep. But um, I do have one quick thing to, to, to ask you before, before we wrap this up for the evening. I do have uh, a little quick two-part Rucker Hauer questionnaire that I ask uh, all the guests for Rucker Hauer Appreciation Month. And it's really quick, uh, and it's okay. It can be a, uh, the the 
both questions can have the same answer too. So it's, it's going to be relatively easy. The questions are, do you have a favorite Rucker Hauer movie and a favorite Rucker Hauer performance? Um, favorite movie would probably be a tie for me. It's a tie between The Hitcher and Split Second. Uh, two very good answers, sir. Yes. I think both of those movies are pretty incredible. Uh, Performance-wise, honestly, I'll say The Hitcher because he's so he's so fucking dope in that movie, honestly. He's <laughs> such, a, such a just over-the-top, like, c- cool but over-the-top psychopath that gives no fucks about anything. <laughs> like you know, that's so- the reason why we're friends, sir. Because those are the same answers I had. Favorite movie, split second. Favorite performance, The Hitcher. Yeah, The Hitcher is oh. just uh, is a, is a, he's such a sight to behold in that movie. It's just I don't think there's a, a creepier character in a movie ever. Like hands down, he's a force that's on like another level in that movie. And split seconds. Is it split second is just one of those movies that is so unique and um, amazing that it's it's a crime that it's not as known. As yeah, I mean so. it was a box office bomb, and I mean it's become quite the cult hit over the years. But it's just really sad that it, it you know what I mean, that it never got the the praise that it, I feel it like rightly rightfully deserves. Yes, yeah, I, com- yeah, I completely agree. It's it's got an incredible monster. <laughs> like it's got it's got one of the coolest movie monsters. Oh I yeah, think I've seen. So you know the one problem with that movie is is they put the, the you don't you don't really see the monster until the end of the movie, and it's not that's not a problem with the movie at all because I give that movie a ten out of ten. I love Split Second. The problem is. With the poster and the cover art, they put the monster on the cover, so it, it takes all question out of out of it. Like when you're going to see, it, like what is he fighting? What is he chasing? Because you don't know it by watching the movie because you never see the damn thing until the end. But if you look at the damn, if you look at that fucking poster art, you know what he's chasing. It, it was just like who fucking okayed that? I just want to know who okayed that poster art. But that's yeah, it. it, it. It does kind of lead you into expecting <laughs> a little more than what you're going to actually get. Well, that being said, we'll put a pin in this one for the evening. Uh, thank you for uh, coming on Rucker Hour Appreciation Month. And I know we we picked a, you know, a kind of a shoddy movie to do, but you know, we got even for Appreciation Month, we got to cover. Sometimes we got to cover one of the ones left less traveled, so to speak. But yes, we didn't just rip this movie apart; we ripperedied it apart. <laughs> Good one, sir. Good one. I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> but I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, normally we're doing a full moon uh, movies, but you know, every once in a while we have to pick a little weird one to do. But uh, yeah, change it up, keep it interesting. But uh, yeah, yeah, th- this was fun. Even though the, the the rewatch wasn't exactly what I would call exhilarating, but it was a fun time hanging out with you for a couple hours, sir. And I appreciate you giving me a couple hours of your time. As always, thank you for listening. And if you really want to help us out, 
with the show. Click on the links, like our stuff, subscribe. We are everywhere fine podcasts are sold. So give us a rating, give us a review on whatever platform, whether it's uh, the homepage on Pandora, whether it's Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, Pandora, what have you. Uh, you know, you can help us out by giving us a rating and review. We would really appreciate it. And as always, thank you very much for listening, folks. And death shall have no dominion. Dead men naked, they shall be one. With the man in the wind in the west moon. When their bones are picked clean and the clean bones gone, they shall have stars at elbow and feet. Though they go mad, they shall be sane. Though they sink through the sea, they shall rise again. Though lovers be lost, love shall not. And death shall have no dominion. <laughs>